Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, a podcast for high school, college, and university students about making the most out of academic life. We touch on study skills, student life, career transition, overall well-being, personal development, and other topics that impact young adults. At the end of each podcast, we send our listeners off with a short guided meditation and writing prompt. We hope that through these discussions, meditations, and writing exercises, we can build an open, caring, compassionate community that supports personal growth. I'm Lisa Fow, the founder and CEO of Fow Academic Writing, where we focus on teaching young adults the communication skills necessary to reach their full potential on the page and in life. Get into a cozy spot, grab your pen and notebooks, and let's meet our first guest. This week's episode is something students often take for granted, editing. Good writers know that the first draft is never going to be their best work. They need to put aside time for revision, editing, and proofreading. The best writers have colleagues or professionals to provide them with insights on their work and to fix any technical issues. Like all art, writing takes multiple drafts to reach a level of greatness. This week's guest is Dana Sparling, an editor and proofreader at FAO Academic Writing. Dana has a psychology degree from the University of Alberta and experience working as a research assistant for the Department of Medicine, Division of Studies. While at the university, she collaborated with other academics in the creation, editing, and statistical analysis of examinations used in the medical school. Dana is, has over three years experience editing graduate level dissertations and publications with me at FAO. And in her free time, Dana enjoys travel, beekeeping and camping. She's the mother of two adorable getting bigger children and wife of 15 years to Daryl. Welcome to our podcast, Dana, breathe in right out. Hey, thanks Lisa, glad to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. So how did you become interested in editing? Well, I worked for the medical school for a long time and part of what fell into my lap was actually editing the exams that we used internally through the Department of Medicine, but also for external stakeholders, usually in the allied health professions. And it became really apparent to me quickly that if things were not exactly right, if they weren't written correctly or proof correctly, students could easily contest a question that they got wrong. Now, that's a big problem for people who are paying thousands and thousands of dollars to have a, a standardized test administered. So as you yeah. can imagine, um, the, the standard was really, really high for these items, these test items. And that's how I got interested in it. Cool. Yeah. I think people don't really think of that. They don't think that editing and writing is happening in all these different places like exam prep, um, you know, everything you read, technical pamphlets, um, even the prompts that pop up on your software, people kind of take that for granted and think it's just essays. Yeah, and I mean, I think that as an editor, but even as just a layperson, when you see something pop up or you read something that has major technical errors in it, it reduces the legitimacy of whatever you're looking at. And, you know, whether that's 
true or not uh, doesn't really matter. But from from a professional standpoint, you absolutely don't want those red flags, especially early on. Yeah. yeah. I often read an email I sent and I'm like, oh, shoot, it auto corrected wrong. Yeah. And yeah, it's the nightmare. Yeah. Just these simple things. So what skills and knowledge do you think good editors have? How would you tell the difference? Well, I mean, first, I think that whatever language you're writing your um, essay or your dissertation or whatever in, you want to find an editor who is a native language speaker to, mm. to that. And um, especially if you're an international student, I think it's an added step for you just to have another pair of eyes look at it and sort of the vernacular of the country that you're living in. Um, you know, hard skills would be good grammar, good punctuation, um, and just structure, especially if it's an essay. Um, you know, is there a beginning, a middle, and an end? Those sort of basic tenets of a good, um, yeah, a, a good publication. Right. Here in, in the West. Because yeah. I know from studying Chinese, and I've been teaching students abroad lately, because now we're all online, mm -hmm. that the way they do their essays, like for English literature, when they're in high school and stuff, is different than what we teach here. So just for international students, if you've been, you're from another place in the world, and you've done well in school, and you feel like you're a strong writer and you've passed all your uh, IELTS or TOEFL exams and whatnot, you might come here and, and find out, you know, oh, what they're expecting me to do is really different than what I did back home. Um, and I see differences in structure and I see differences in depth. And a major thing, of course, that people get in trouble with is plagiarism. Yes. and different different expectations around um, academic integrity. So if you have an editor like Dana, uh, that can help you a lot to have that second set of eyes without it being a penalty. You know, you're getting you're getting this help so that when you hand it into either a journal or your professor or your teacher, um, when you're you know, when it counts, you can be pretty confident about it. Yeah, we're confidently um, aware of the fact that we are not the smartest person in the room when we're editing these publications. <laughs> I feel very humbled all the time. And yet, you know, there is value that we can add just from an actual structural perspective. Yeah, well, and I think one thing, one reason I really like you, Dana, is um, you like me, you're interested in a lot of things. You're a bit of a generalist. And um, something you do that's really helpful is you'll point out to the person when you don't understand what they're trying to say. And not so much when we're doing uh, engineering papers because there's a lot of equations. I don't understand anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can sort of understand when the sentence structure, we can understand yeah. when the sentence structure is not correct and it's yeah. not making sense we don't know all the equations but I know we did one yeah. recently that was on um what was it like proletarian oh yeah and yeah it was the language Japan. it was talking about proletarian language and it was fascinating yeah 
but a, a lot of the comments were like what do you what do you mean what are you trying to say which well we're trying to we're trying to figure out what is the person actually getting at you know it's one thing to write it on the on the paper but there's an underlying context that maybe that the reader doesn't pick up on and so a good editor will be able to suss that out and decide okay what is the actual context that this person is trying to convey right and 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 i think something is people often get lost in jargon yeah the further they go along in their degree and so it's helpful for someone to read it who's not necessarily in their discipline but reads a lot of different things to be able to help them to clarify that like what they mean like yeah. if so, if someone other than themselves is reading this could they actually understand them and i think that's a value and i think people don't think of editing like that they think of it as spelling and grammar right i think there's always the assumption especially when you get to graduate level um documents is that people are going to understand what you're saying they will have that requisite knowledge so that when they're reading it they know what this war or this act or whatever it was and that's not always the case so we have to be really sensitive to the fact that you have to prep people you have to give them enough knowledge within the document to make sense of what you're saying you can't assume that your reader knows what you're getting at before you or without even saying it yeah and i think this is important especially for dissertations or students who are wanting to publish chapters or portions of their work because now it's going to go to a wider audience sometimes yeah. a specialized audience but a wider audience yeah. and especially if you're working on a book right a lot of different people are going to read this book so one big thing is knowing the audience and something something we do is uh, i mean you guys are editing a lot of different types of documents sometimes like applications sometimes dissertations sometimes shorter essays um and so a big thing is what i think what i look for in someone who's a good editor is to be able to adjust their style a little bit and understand who's going to read this yeah. And so what should I focus on, right? So especially in applications, you want a lot less jargon compared to like a dissertation. Yeah. And you know, this is sort of a pet peeve of mine is when people try to sound really, really smart. And you know, it's like, I've read your document. I know you're really, really smart. Like you don't need to prove it to me. But using these 10 cent words over and over and over again, actually, it detracts from what you're trying to say. It, it keeps your message from coming across because people are so focused, especially on like, why are they using these like esoteric words? Like it's not necessary for what you're trying to say, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your own process. When, when you get a paper or a document, how do, you, how do you edit it? What do you do first? Um, well, the first thing I do obviously is I just take a quick scan through it to see what is it about, how long it is. Um, and then I will absolutely go back to the original assignment. So that's always really helpful to be given a copy of the assignment um, and just double check that what needs to be there is actually there before we even go into the minutia of, of the word checking and all of that. Um, because if your assignment doesn't have 
the right components, it's not going to help you if it's edited perfectly. So that's always right. the first thing to do. Um, and then I will go through initially and just read it for sort of flow. You know, does it does it make sense what this person is saying? And at that point, if there's any glaring errors, um, I'll pick those out. But you know, it's sort of on the second pass or the third pass that we start getting into the commas and the punctuation and all of all of the rest of that. Right. And you know, interestingly today, I had a meeting. Um, there's a lot of people applying for university from high school. Mm. So there's a lot of application essays. And those kind of things often have word limits and yeah. short word limits. And um, part of my process is to first have a meeting to help to develop the content. And usually the content for this potential essay is one or two pages long. And sometimes the, the kid or the, uh, usually the parent um, starts <laughs> freaking out like, you know, well, this is only 900 characters or this is only, yeah. you know, 250 words. How are we going to fit everything in this space? And I think this is something sometimes people get caught up on. Yeah. And so what I tell them is the word count is really almost the last thing we worry about when we're editing it just like you said we're kind of looking does it include what it's supposed to does it make sense is it structured properly yeah um do we need to change some words and then once we have a good run through the whole thing then we worry about word count and then for me my last thing is just doing another like proofread. Yeah. secretly my favorite part of editing is the slash and burn section where it's like I, I gotta get 200 words out of this document so let's do it and I just you know we're starting to consolidate ideas and just hack out paragraphs and it feels so good <laughs> I love deleting yeah but if I it's love deleting work, when it's not my work yeah <laughs> no exactly if it's my work I have a hard time deleting it's like that's my baby stop it <laughs> Yeah, so something I tell my students is it's usually the sentence or paragraph that you feel most attached to <laughs> and you spend the longest time on that you should cut out. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. The and one then, where you felt super smart when you wrote it and somebody read yeah. it and went, mm, I don't know. Usually it doesn't fit. Usually it's like <laughs> the start of something new or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's really where you felt your brilliance come to life is in that sentence and somebody's <laughs> going to hack it out. I know, guarantee it. No problem. But yeah, I think people don't understand that we're sitting over there not reading your paper once, but like many well, multiple times, times. Yeah. and um, takes a lot of effort. It does. Um, so you've done quite a few different things at this point. Do you see or do you notice any common mistakes? Yeah, there's a few common mistakes for sure. Um, the first one that is absolutely glaring for me is, is your tense. You know, are you in the present or are you in the past? You need to make a determination before you get 40 or 50 pages into a document to know where you're living. Are you, you know, past, present or future? And, you know, what you use, what tense you use is going to be dependent on what you're writing. So if you're talking about literature, or if you're talking about um, a personal response essay or whatever, it's going to be different. So you really need to check that before you begin writing. 
there's nothing more difficult than editing um, for 10 or 12 or 30 hours <laughs> and having to go back and forth through, because then you start questioning, the editor starts questioning themselves. It's like, well, maybe it's not, right? Yeah. Um, that's, the, that's the first one for me, for sure. Um, the other ones, you know, things like acronyms, make sure that you've spelled out your acronym. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> You know, don't, it's another one of these assuming things. You can't assume, and, and the style guides back us up here, that people will know what you're talking about, what the BCRSP is. Like, right. That. Yeah, that's always my pet peeve. You're going through the essay, and then you're like, what is this? Yeah. What is this? And then or you're like, should I know this? Did I miss it? <laughs> yeah, they write it out in an acronym, and later on in the essay, they write it out in full. Yes. And you're like, is this the same thing? What? Yeah, so the rule is, you know, when you have acronyms, first you write it out in full, put the acronym in brackets, and after that you can continuously use your acronym. Yeah. Or in those really long dissertations, like especially engineering papers and stuff, they'll actually have a glossary of terms. And, and that there has to be some way for the reader to know what the heck are you yeah, absolutely. talking about. You know, and like the third thing I would say would be um, capitalization of names, capitalization of um, societies, organizations, make sure that if it's a, if it's an actual, you know, technical thing, it needs to be capitalized, but you need to check the internet is your friend check to see whether or not whatever it is should be capitalized yeah. because it's another one of those errors that to a lay person maybe they wouldn't notice but to a technical reader or um, an employer if they see that their organization is not capitalized it's a big problem right and i, I think this is more and more common i even see it now in the beginning of sentences how pe and i and this is really because of texting I don't yeah. want to sound like an old lady. <laughs> You're an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, I think this is just goes back to know your audience. So if you're texting somebody, whatever, you have lowercase, you don't have punctuation, you know, but when you're writing a more formal, even a resume. Yeah. Especially a resume. Especially a resume. You need to check, well, capitalize the beginning of sentences, first of all. But um, what you what you're saying about proper nouns? So the name of like someone's name, a city, um, a specific thing. So the CN Tower would be all capitalized, but the tower would not. Exactly. So knowing, just figuring out is this a proper noun or a common noun, yeah. and knowing those rules, and kind of circling back to your first point, you said you need to know what is what is what? So do you know, if you're writing an English essay, Dana, what would you recommend to the person? What tense? If you're writing just a plain English essay? Like literature, like, you know, on Hamlet. Well, you can say past tense, you know, uh, Hamlet said something important, I'm sure. Um, you know, but then when you're talking directly about the text in Hamlet, you can say, Hamlet says, um, you know, somebody died, whatever. So even within the same document, you are going to have different tenses depending on what you're referencing. Right. Well, I, I mean, the rule, 
the rule I learned is that you should write in present tense. So everything I'm, my point about Hamlet, my argument should be in present tense because yeah. even though Hamlet's written hundreds of years ago, every time I read it, it's in the present. Yeah. So when I talk about it, it's in the present. But yeah, good point. When we refer, Hamlet said this. Yeah. Or if something in the text, like there's a quote, obviously you keep it in past tense and whatnot. So that's sort of the, the tense problem because I think people, they switch over, you know, from present to past and then they never switch back. Right. And you realize three pages in afterwards that, oh, darn it. And then they just don't fix it because it's a it's a hassle. Yeah. And it's confusing. It is confusing. Because, because the thing is, you don't know, is this the person arguing? Is this something that happened in the past? Yeah. Uh, what's going on? So people don't really think about that, but it is no. something to pay attention to. But, you know, your professor is going to notice. So not over are. <laughs> I hope your professor notices. If you have an English professor, yeah. Maybe. If you yeah. have a, a, I don't know, business, something where they don't maybe pay as close attention. Maybe They're not as nitpicky, yeah. Depending on what it is. Um, was that, did you have any other pet peeves? Any other things people should um, go for? No, mostly just the sounding too smart thing. It, you know, there's really no need for it. You can get your point across using really straightforward language there's no and so that's the other thing like we're going to cut all of that flowery language that you're using if there's a word count that's the first thing to go it really right. is so don't waste your time looking up dictionary words that you don't need well i think the key is don't use words you don't know yeah yeah i, I think yeah. really the thing oftentimes is so I, I think elevating your vocabulary is useful. And as you go through school and you get into the PhD level or whatever, you should be elevating your vocabulary. But I think sometimes what people do is they pack in these academic words without actually thinking or knowing how to use the word. So maybe right. they heard it or they read it, but they didn't really understand how to use it. And then that doesn't help like it, again, it looks smart, but when, if someone's actually reading your material closely, uh, they might not understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, for sure. I think. And, and especially and, and if it's a lay person, you know, if it's not a prof reading your work, like it, people well, are even if it is a prof. document. Yeah. <laughs> use, Gosh, you're I, being really hard on profs. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, what I mean is if you're using vocabulary incorrectly. Yeah. Uh, probably the prof would notice it sooner than the lay yeah. person. But yeah. I, I think a thing is to, um, and, and I think this is our style, and this is why I like you, is that I'm all about being concise and precise. And mm -hmm. there definitely are other writers and academics that do gravitate towards to and, and like the flowery language, and, you know, that's a style. Yeah. If you if you compared like Dickens to Hemingway, they're they're both excellent writers, but Dickens, like pages, hundreds of pages on description. I know, but then of course those are narrative works, right? And so then we're talking about technical language. It's like I don't want to mix the two. Like, sure, I'll read a great narrative that's really flowery, whatever. But when you're talking about potholes, I really just want to know what's what. Yeah, I guess. 
but I, I do know like in philosophy or English or um, Fair enough. more of these humanities, they, they tend to pile on the words more than say like <laughs> social science. So, and I think that's kind of stylistic, but what I was going to say is like, uh, there is something about being concise and, and when you're trying to be concise, knowing a lot of vocabulary is helpful because True. you can, sometimes people can, you know, you could say one phrase if you knew the right word. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's really about using it correctly. Yeah, and that's where we circle back to sort of having a native language speaker look at your work. So, you know, whether it's English or Mandarin or whatever it is, it's really helpful to have somebody to add that background. Yeah, good point. Um, and you just answered the question. I was oh, what, was say, what is the value of uh, having a second set of eyes? We just said. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know what? There's a lot of cultural to it. Um, I sh I'm sure if I studied abroad, I would absolutely ask somebody who lived there or was born there to look at my work because it's different expectations, different um, ways of writing, different sort of structure. So yeah, it's really important to have somebody um, look it over because again, we don't see our own faults very well. And um other people do <laughs> right and and often the native speaker isn't as um well versed in the technical grammar language no. but we no. know what feels right and there's some sort yeah. of value to that yeah we're not content experts you know i am not a content expert on mechanical engineering or philosophy or or any of that, but there is sort of, um, like you said, a value to know what feels right. And if it feels right to us, chances are it's gonna feel right to the people who are reviewing your publication or um, sitting on your advisory board. Right, and, and, I, and I think the other thing, and, and I run into this a lot with my students, um, is to remember that writing is a process and editing is a process. And so unlike math or any kind, I mean, when you get into higher math, it's a totally different thing, but mm -hmm. you know, something that's more structured, there are definitely right answers, right? If we totally yeah. flipped around a sentence structure and wrote it in Japanese structure, where it'd be like object, verb, subject, it wouldn't make sense to an English no. speaker. But there are a lot of things that are, there's no rule for. And so in those cases, you really need someone with experience. And I, I think it's less important that the person know your subject area, especially if you're in graduate school, because you're getting a lot of subject specific feedback from your colleagues and your supervisor. But someone who has experience reading and working with a lot of different kinds of text. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think a strength that we have is, um, at least me, and I think you're similar, is we're very empathetic. And somehow that applies to our editing. So yeah. we can get a sense of the person through their writing and adapt it in a way that is suitable for them as opposed to like having some sort of formula. 
and and I think that's that's really important um, trait that people don't really think of. Yeah, you know, I think when you talk about a good editor or a bad editor, what what I I think is that, and I had written this down, is that you need to be able to work together to accomplish the goal of um, the client. And you know, I I don't want that client's paper to sound like I wrote it. I want it to sound like they wrote. I want it to sound like the best version of them. You know, right. and that sort of touches on the plagiarism issue as well. You have to be really careful. Um, that when it's your voice coming through so an editor or a good editor will still retain the client's voice they will preserve that and just let them shine through right and and i think something that we do that's really valuable is we'll put a lot of comments yeah so even if we change a sentence uh, especially on those bigger documents that people have put years into, mm -hmm. uh, we will ask, is this what you mean? Is this what you want to do? You could try this, you could try that. So I think a real value is um, that we also want the person to learn. So if there are common errors, and I've seen this in your comments, you will point them out to the person, like, which tense is this? You switch tense in this chapter or... I see you keep using, like, for example, sometimes people make mistakes with articles over and over, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right, or commas over and over, and pointing out to the person what's going on, so that they can become a gooder, a, a better, <laughs> gooder writer. That was my, uh, I don't know, Rimby accent, <laughs> a better writer. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, it's a learning process for them. And that's part of the reason they're paying us is that they want to be able to uh, move forward and not make these mistakes again. It's the classic, you know, uh, teach a man to fish sort of situation. You know, if I teach him how to do it for himself, he's going to move forward and be better, especially, you know, professionally. Like when these people reach tenure, or when they're whatever, they aren't going to have editors. But if they've learned those skills early on, it's going to benefit them. Well, they might have editors, but they'll use them in Maybe. a different way. Yeah, like, I think them. even, I mean, writers have editors. I think editors have value because they bring that second set of eyes, but but the way they're editing or the relationship between the writer and the editor might change. Because I yeah. think, you know, writing is a process. So if you have people having a conversation about what you're writing, then your writing gets better and kind of like the editor in a way, like, yes, we're fixing those technical issues, but when we get up to the higher level, what we're doing is we're actually having a conversation with what you wrote and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, what, what does this mean? Or why don't you move this here? Or yeah. why don't you change the language? Um, so really looking at it as, uh, as a process, as opposed to like, uh, can you check my spelling? Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so just as a final tip I guess you've given some tips of you know three things to look out for for people who want to learn more about the writing process or you know check some of their own work uh, what resources would you recommend um, it's going to depend on what you're writing but my first answer to that is always going to be go to the style guide so if you are writing um, Chicago style find the Chicago style guide if you're writing APA find the APA guide and those are all available online for free there's no excuse to have that not be part of your process 
Um, if you're looking for really specific things, like do, you know, if I have multiple sets of brackets, where do I put the comma or something like that, that are, are more of a specialized thing, you can go, it's Owl Purdue or Purdue Owl, I think it is. Um, and there's, you know, down to the minutia of those things, you can go and it's really easily laid out for anyone to find. And again, free, accessible, um, really good. And you know, if you were doing more technical writing for let's say medicine or engineering, there is books that you can use um, specifically right. suited to yeah, that. Yeah, each discipline usually has a style guide. Yeah, but you know, for a generalist, those style guides are, are going to be your best resource. Yeah, and, and another thing that people often don't know, those are valuable because it's not only um, telling you how to cite things, which is normally why people use a style guide, yeah. but also how you need to format your title page differently. Yeah. If you have a table of contents, how should it be put together? Uh, what about headings? So different disciplines have different sets of expectations. So that's yes. a really good place to start and to get familiar with. Yeah. So thanks so much for being part of our podcast, Dana. Hey, thanks, Lisa, for having me anytime. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. So everyone else, stay tuned for a short meditation and writing prompt. During this breathing meditation, you will focus on your breath. This will calm your mind and relax your body. There is no right or wrong way to meditate. Whatever you experience during breathing meditation is right for you. Don't try to make anything happen, just observe. Begin by finding a comfortable position, but one in which you will not fall asleep. Sitting on the floor with your legs crossed is a good position to try. Close your eyes or focus on one spot in the room. Roll your shoulders slowly forward and then slowly back. Lean your head from side to side, lowering your left ear towards your left shoulder and then your right ear toward your right shoulder. Relax your muscles. Your body will continue to relax as you meditate. Observe your breathing. Notice how your breath flows in and out. Make no effort to change your breathing in any way. Simply notice how your body breathes. Your body knows how much air it needs. Sit quietly, seeing in your mind's eye your breath flowing gently in and out of your body. When your attention wanders, as it will, just focus back again on your breathing. Notice any stray thoughts but don't dwell on them. Simply let the thoughts pass. See how your breath continues to flow deeply, calmly. Notice the stages of a complete breath. From the in-breath to the pause that follows, the exhale and the pause before taking another breath. See the slight breaks between each breath. Feel the air entering through your nose 
Picture the breath flowing through the cavities in your sinuses and then down to your lungs. As thoughts intrude, allow them to pass and return your attention to your breathing. See the air inside your body after you inhale, filling your body gently. Notice how the space inside your lungs becomes smaller after you exhale and the air leaves your body. Feel your chest and stomach gently rise and fall with each breath. Now as you inhale, count silently. One. As you exhale, count. One. Wait for the next breath and count again. One. Exhale. One. Inhale. One. Exhale. One. Continue to count each inhalation and exhalation as one. Notice how your body feels. See how calm and gentle your breathing is and how relaxed your body feels. Now it is time to gently reawaken your body and mind. Keeping your eyes closed, notice the sounds around you, feel the floor beneath you, feel the clothes against your body, wiggle your fingers and toes, shrug your shoulders, open your eyes and remain sitting for a few moments longer Straighten out your legs and stretch your arms and legs gently. Sit for a few moments more, enjoying how relaxed you feel and experiencing your body reawaken and your mind returning to its usual level of alertness. Slowly return to standing position and continue with the rest of your day feeling re-energized. Hi everyone, Lisa Fow here at Fow Academic Writing. Thanks so much for checking out and listening to our podcast on editing with Dana Sparling. Or if you haven't, you can check it out now. For those of you listening and some of you are watching the video, we're going to do a quick writing exercise related to editing. First, I'm going to take a drink of water. Mm. Okay. So what I want you to do is to look around the room and choose an object. So for example, I have some orange peel here. Um, I have a chapstick. I have a Christmas card with some pine cones or spruce cones on it. So choose something in the room. And then what I want you to do is to pause the video or podcast Set a timer for one minute if you're a fast writer, three minutes if you need a little bit more time, and write a description of that object. So let's give it a try. Okay, so I've finished up. I'm going to read to you my description of this Christmas card with the spruce cones. And then what we're going to do is we're going to move on to a little bit of a revision exercise. So here we go. Brown prickly shield protruding from its silvery green embrace, cold icy sparkles glimmering in the sun. 
so simple yet beautiful, a sign of the seasons, a sign of what's to come. So that's my first draft. And you also should have a first draft at this point. Now what I want you to do is again, set your timer for, this is a quick thing, or just pause the video or podcast. You don't need more than a minute. I want you to go through what you've written and I want you to circle or underline phrases or words that stand out to you. So let's give that a try. Okay, so I've done my circling. This is less of an editing exercise and more of just like revision. And what revision is, is really moving different ideas, phrases, words, sentences around in a document. And it's something people often forget. Now, what we're going to do is we're not really going to revise our paragraph, but we're going to use those pieces to create something new. So I'll give you an example of a few things that I circled from my original. So I circled brown prickly shield, silvery green embrace, icy sparkles glimmer. So simple, yet beautiful, a sign of the seasons. Okay, I circled a lot of what I wrote. But a, a lot of what I wrote was uh, words or phrases that convey imagery. Okay, so now that you have your selection, what I want you to do is to use these circled words and phrases to now create a haiku. So for those who don't know, a haiku is a poem that consists of three lines. The first line has five syllables, the second line seven syllables, and the third line five syllables. And a syllable is the sound in the word. So Lisa, my name, has two syllables, but Tom has one syllable. So I want you to take this and see if you can turn it into a haiku. And you might wanna give yourself three to five minutes for this exercise. All right, so this is what I came up with. Of course, it's not perfect. And you probably would revise it more if you really wanted to create some super great haiku. But this is what I have. Brown prickly ice shield, silvery green cool embrace, sign of the seasons. So I'd love to hear what you came up with. You can send us a message. You can put your haiku in the comments. If you want to find out more about our coaching or our classes, you can find us on our website, www.pfau.ca, or you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, tw and Twitter at FAO underscore academic writing. And we look forward to helping you reach your full potential on the page and in life. Take care.